desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad to have you here with us. I am here with my most amazing guest, Susan. Susan, thank you so much for being here today with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm honored to be here. It's going to be fun. It is, it is. So give us a 5,000 foot view, who you are, what you do, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, that's always uh, one of my favorite questions because like I answer the who I am totally differently than most people, right? Most people do it by the roles they play. Mm -hmm. I do it by like, I'm authenticity, I'm inspiration, I'm music, I'm dance, I'm love without being so woo that I'm like in the 5,000 foot bird's eye view, right? <laughs> nice. But to really answer your question, I'm a licensed psychotherapist and spiritual and emotional resiliency coach. And I really help people get through the root core of all that past conditioning shit that really gets in the way and stops them from living their full potential and living their full possibilities. Nice. Yeah. And I refer to that usually as, um, getting rid of all your mind shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to take out the garbage at some point in time, and it doesn't matter who you are and what you do. There's garbage going on in there just because we're human, right? I mean, we, we go through yeah. stuff, we process stuff, and, and eventually we want to have newer, bigger ideas than we did when we were five. So I mean, right. somebody's got to take out the trash, right? Well, and it's funny you said that because about 10 years ago, a friend of mine was turning 50 and I got tired of answering the question with new people like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a licensed therapist. And so I said, <laughs> I don't know, it just kind of came top of my head in the moment. I said, I'm an emotional waste manager. Nice. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, what is that? And I'm like, well, and I, I was like, I, I dig that. That's cool. That is. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Different. We all need some head trash removal every once in a while. Yeah. Nice. Sure. So tell us, how'd you get into all of this? Well, you know, not to get into the sad part of the story, but I'm a six-time sexual assault survivor. And when I was 28 years old, I almost committed suicide. And at, my son had just turned two literally a couple of weeks before, which was about a week after the last assault. And that night, I really thought I was going to die. So I basically had kind of no will at that point. And my ex-husband said something that cut me to the core. I sat down, wrote my son a suicide note. Like what mom is going to give their, make their kid wait till they're 18? But that was my bright mentality, right? Stuff it in the envelope, give, him to, give it to him when he's 18. But instead, I reread the letter. And as I did, I heard this voice inside my head from my four-year-old self because I'd always known since four who we were at the core, that we're much more than just this human being living in a body, right? But I couldn't reconcile all that. So it actually kind of fucked me up through my life because I couldn't make sense of how could I have this amazing awareness and understanding and like love and all this stuff without being like, you know, airy fairy. 
and at the same time have all this shit happen, right? And so as I reread the letter and I heard her voice, she said, you are meant for so much more and anything is possible. And I knew that I had a choice to make. It was either jump off the cliff and go die or jump off the cliff into my life and no more holding back, no more hiding out. Now that wasn't so easy over the next many years, but I learned to make it much easier. And now that's what I teach and kind of why I do what I do, because I know people, entrepreneurs, relationships, all of that stuff. It doesn't have to be complicated, Nice. but we make it super complicated. So now I teach people how to make it super easy. Nice. I love that. And I mean, I've been talking to so many people lately and it's, it's mind boggling to me in one aspect, how many people kind of hit that wall of, well, fuck it, I'm just going to commit suicide and get it over with because this sucks. And then something happens and you, the, your brain kicks in and goes like, hold on, what the fuck? This, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Like when I was in high school, I, um, I was also suicidal in that I spent until 3 a.m. one morning doing circles around the gym because it was in a private boarding school, so there was nowhere to go. But I went into the gym that was pitch black, so I was going, okay, so how can I do this? And there's no ropes, there's no steps, there's no ladders. It's not like a normal gymnasium where you have all these opportunities to be able to out yourself. I didn't have those, so I'm like racking my brain. And then all of a sudden, this little voice in my head goes like, you haven't met everybody on the planet yet, you know that, right? And it's like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? It's like, well, I get it. You're surrounded by assholes, but that doesn't mean that everybody's an asshole. You have yeah. not met every person on the planet yet. And until you do, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm right. Like, oh, okay. You're kind of right. And it's like, and it might take time, but you know, you'll find that person that you can relate to and that it's going to make it all all right. And I'm like, yeah. sweet. So then every time that kind of, I come up with this wall going, fuck it, I'm done. And because that was my go-to answer was, fuck it, I'm done. And yeah. <laughs> like, I hear you. And sometimes that means I'm done this project. Sometimes it means I'm done living on this planet. A yeah. little bit of different sauce on that. But yeah, I mean, it's it to me, it's super cool that that voice kicks in and goes, but now, do you think everybody has that voice? Or obviously, sometimes it's easier to hear it from somebody else and go to a therapist and go, hey, you're well, not alone. Well, you know, I think everybody has that voice. And I think we all actually listen and hear that voice. I think what we don't do is we get stuck in the head trash. We get stuck in that inner critical voice that drowns out the voice of what I call our heart's voice. And again, without being like flipping airy fairy and all woo woo, which I'm totally spiritual and I'm totally grounded. But that's the thing. I don't think anybody's ever taught us how to navigate the human experience without like either being super woo-woo or I'm totally stuck in my head. And so I think that when people get that they can and do have that voice and they can listen to it, it all of a sudden all the other shit starts to melt away because they're like, I, wow, I just don't have to be that person who should have this or should have that or was supposed to this. I don't, I can let go of the expectations. And honestly, I think people like me as therapists, quote unquote, which I am licensed, but I say it that way because a lot of my colleagues are not, should not be sitting in that chair. They've got their own shit to deal with. They haven't dealt with it. They bring it into the, into the room and into the therapeutic kind of, you know, uh, relationship. And so I, I would love to see people like me no longer be needed. And I think it's possible, probably not in my life, but I think it's possible. I think that we are just sounding boards 
We are just listening ears that can hold a space of non-judgment that allow people to feel safe enough to dive into what they deem the super scary shit. Mm -hmm. But they could do this themselves. They really can. So yes, I think everybody has a voice. I think everybody can hear the voice. And I think if you get out of your own way and you get out of your head, you'll stop hearing the voices loud. Very cool. Well, I know another time when I was in university, I was terrified terrified of all the new shit. It was a new city, a new place. Uh, my high school grad class was 11 people. My chemistry class in university was 700. It was wow. like, <laughs> wow. Jesus. This what a jump, not, right? Like From... 200 people in each classroom. Like oh it, it was insanely huge. And I'm like, I am out of my depth. This is not going well, losing my shit. And all I could see was shadows and darkness everywhere. And little part of my brain again goes, hey, why don't you just take the sunshine and happiness from like when you were little and put it into the walls here. Nice. And so I did that and was like, hey, this is actually kind of nice. The walls are actually white. Hey, there's actually some color here. Hey, there's... And it was the weirdest thing because looking back at that, I totally see it as an NLP experience. But in the yeah. moment, it was just what I needed to do to get from step A to step B. Right. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that anybody can be quote unquote a therapist or a listening ear if you help someone reframe. And that's mm -hmm. just a, a matter of shifting the perspective, right? You know, so that's beautiful. What you did is you just kind of like, oh, I took the happiness and sunshine and I put it in these walls. And then it's like, oh, now I feel like I'm in a bubble of happiness and sunshine. And it allows your mind to back off. Because like the big thing is that people don't get that our mind's sole responsibility is to be the sentry and the guard. It's the protector. It's the thing that discerns every piece of information that's coming in. And like a data entry operator, it just kind of like downloads all the programs, gives it names, and the little brain stores it away in a little file folder system. And then we just keep pulling out those little files and we keep comparing, right? Like how many of us compare as entrepreneurs? Man, she's making a million dollars a year and I can't even break five figures. What the fuck am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's that you're probably in your own way and you're stuck in mindsets and you're not learning how to shift your perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of my quote unquote favorite, um, <laughs> I use quote unquote favorite and you'll figure out why in a second, ways of holding ourselves back is when we were younger, we tended to get in shit for things that we did that the authorities didn't appreciate. And they thought if we feel shame and embarrassment and rage and all these kind of fun things we feel bad about ourselves that we're not going to do it again and it's so not true that's the thing that makes us want to do it again even if we don't want to do it again it's like well fuck you i'm going to do it again because you know fuck you and oh, yeah like, like we can talk about this one for hours but i mean like let's go down that route because i mean it is a little blue pill for business so why not i can't sure. tell you how many times i've come across people that feel shame and embarrassment for their own sexuality and it stops them from being awesome in business because in order to be awesome in business, they've got to stand up and say, hey, this is who I am and I'm fucking proud of it. Thank you very much. And when there's so much guilt and shame about, you know, you, did, you weren't supposed to kiss that person. You weren't supposed to let them touch you. You weren't supposed to let them do this. Why the hell did you do that? And we feel bad about stuff that we should feel fucking awesome about. Or we feel bad that we did something wrong when we were the, the victim in the situation and we had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it's crazy how much of that shit holds us back. 
Oh my God, that, that is such a major piece. And it even extends beyond the sexuality to just all the, you know, the woulda, coulda, shittas and the supposed tos that we get as conditioning from our family units, right? Whoever were our caregivers or whatever we experienced in school, all that stuff. But I, I know like when I was, I, I spent five years as a sexual dysfunction therapist and I worked with this, she's probably dead now, you know, uh, rest in peace if you are. Um, I worked with this world-renowned psychiatrist who worked for a Catholic university. Imagine this. Now she was a psychiatrist housed between a urologist and a gynecologist. And she started this clinic in the 60s because these doctors were coming to her going, you know, what's wrong with my patient? They're having these kind of sexual problems. And she's like, oh, bright idea. I'm at a Catholic university. Let me start a sexual dysfunction clinic. And the only criteria based on the university was that the couple had to be married. Okay. So it'd be a little different today for like, you know, same sex couples that, you know, whether they're married or not. Anyway, I, one of the things that I saw predominantly over the five years that I spent with her was that the reason she had like a 98% success rate was because she brought people back to moving out of that shame and fear and out of that guilt so that they could once again communicate with their partner about the real issues, whatever they're feeling or whatever they're, you know, like, wow, I'm feeling like you don't love me anymore. And that's why you're always watching porno or I'm feeling like you need to take the little blue pill right later on all the time in order for us to even be together. Do you not love me? Do you not, am I not, you know, you're not attracted to me, this kind of thing. And she really helped to eliminate that piece. What was interesting is that just what you just said, I saw how it filtered into every other part of their life, not just their sexual intimacy or the dysfunction they were having. They'd bring it into their business and their work and their other relationships with kids or parents. And it was so pervasive that it was like, if we could learn how to let go of all of those expectations and that I should have this, or I was supposed to have not done that. No, now I'm a bad person because I did that. All of a sudden, all the other shit would start melting away and they would be like, oh, you mean I get to decide who I am and what I want and what I like and how I want to move through the world? That's fucking awesome. Like, why didn't I ever have this freedom before? And it's like, you always did. But you were living in a bubble of guilt and shame and, and stuff. And the same with the victimness. Like, you know, actually you can get caught in the victim mindset too. That's why I may say I'm a six-time sexual assault survivor because that's what most people identify with. But I don't even identify as a survivor anymore. I moved into thrivership long, many, many years ago. Nice. And there is a huge difference in dealing with people that are, <clears throat> I compare it to <laughs> a Celsius um, thermometer because it makes sense to me. But when you're in the cold, it's, you're, you're in the negative numbers and it's freezing and all they want to do is thaw out. And it's like, I just want to get to a zero. I just want to get to normal. I just want to get to there. And it's like, okay, you're at zero, but you do realize that there's like 23 degrees. Like you could be in the Caribbean. You could be having a good time. <laughs> this, is yeah. not, this is not where you need to stop, right? Like let's carry on and, and move forward and go into thrive. Cause I think so many people don't realize that there is a thriving mechanism. They think that people are just delirious and like the other side of insanity and normal is just the ideal. And it's like, it, that's not the ideal. That That's nice. It's awesome. Yeah. And it gets rid of the the pain and suffering, if you will, but it's not the ideal. No, not at all. And I think that when people realize too, that they're actually in control of creating their ideal, then it opens up a whole new world because they really are like, oh, 
you mean I don't have to do this job that I don't want to do, but I didn't know how to tell my parents I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to school for that. Like I can do what I want without worrying and fearful and the guilt and the shame and the victimness of like, oh, my parents will disown me if I tell them this. But then, oh, wait a minute. I could talk to them in a way that still honors what they want, but I'm honoring myself first. And, and it's so, honestly, Michelle, it's such simple things, but it's like people just need to be given permission. And I don't know why we have a tendency to always give that power away to others. Like, I need your permission to be okay with who I am, but they do. I mean, that's why I, I've been super excited over the years that, you know, just like, uh, civil rights back in the 60s has continued to shift. And now we see equal rights truly, we're getting there sort of, with kind of like people being able to come out and say, hey, I'm a lesbian or I'm homosexual or whatever the labels are that we want to give it, right? Um, and I can marry someone out of love and not worry that we are the same sex. Like we are moving, albeit very slowly, in those directions to really allow people the freedom to choose to be who they are. Mm -hmm. Well, and I really think it comes back to Maslow's hierarchy that we have this innate need to be part of a group, whether we want to or not. And we're constantly looking for that group. And if we find ourselves in a group where they're all kind of X type values and systems and stuff, and we go, well, that's not me. I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm not comfortable around you people. And I'm not, certainly not comfortable telling you who I am. That yeah. to me, all it means is you have to find that opportunity to find, to find other people that are as kinky or off center or <laughs> as whatever as you are, or even as loud, right? I mean, I, when I grew up, I wasn't allowed to be loud. I'm loud. When I laugh, everybody hears me. And I don't care who hears me because my laugh is contagious and somebody needs to hear my laugh, even though 10 people might go, oh my God, you have the stupidest laugh ever. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, that silly sound I make when I'm happy. That's awful. God, like, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I had a friend. I can't do it because I'd probably choke to death, but she has one of those laughs that like where you're breathing in. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that like, <laughs> but it's like so loud. So we're sitting in this sports bar one awesome. time. And I live in the Chicago area, so the Blackhawks were playing. And every time they scored in this sports bar, there was like this super bright siren light, like all over the, the it was a two-tier bar, all over the place. And it would make this really incredibly loud siren sound, right? And we were, there was like eight or nine of us together, and she's cracking up laughing right as the Hawks hit a goal. These sirens go off. It's loud. There's a ton of people in the bar and her laugh is still heard by everybody because we're sitting up there and we didn't care. And they're all turning around and they're like clapping because the Hawks and then they turn to our table and they're like, ah! and I don't, I don't know how she didn't choke, but that's just her laugh. And it was like, yeah, you be you, man. Because like, who cares what anybody else thinks? I mean, Jesus, man, if we, if we really lived our life, the way so many people do, caring all the time and defining ourselves by how everybody thinks of us. Mm -hmm. It'd be like the pandemic right now. Would we ever leave our house? Well, exactly. They wouldn't. And, and this, oh. the crazy part to me is, well, it's not crazy, but it's humanity. Even the whole idea of becoming an entrepreneur is so, if you do what it took to become successful in high school or at a job where you're working for somebody else, you will fail at being an entrepreneur. You have to let go of all that shit and decide what do you want? 
What's your goal? What are you going after? Like it's a completely different mindset and what made you successful as a follower is going to kill you as a leader. And to me, it's so important that these people get a hold of you and go like, I, I need you. So what do you think somebody at home is thinking right now where they get to the point where they go, Oh my God, Susan, I need you. Uh, need me. Yeah. Reach out, man. Like, what do you, what have you got? Now, what to are lose? they thinking? So like, what, what's your ideal client? What are they going through? What are they thinking? They're thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm stuck in. My life's not moving forward the way I want, or my relationships aren't moving forward the way I want, or why do I keep picking the same kind of girl or guy, or why do I keep trying the same thing, even though I tweak it, and I'm taking all these courses, and I'm trying to learn all this stuff, and nothing seems to be working. And it's not about all the outside stuff. It's about the inside stuff that's getting in your way and getting in your head. It's like, oh, I want to reach out to that person. But what if, you know, they get, we're friends and they get mad at me because like, you know, I I shared my business with them. So what? What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say, I'm not interested. No, thank you. You know what? Go out and get a shit ton of no's. Go out and get go out and talk to as many people as you can. If you believe in what you're doing, you'll share it with everybody. So it's the people that, you know, are feeling like something's missing in their life. It's not quite, they're not quite happy, or maybe they're dealing with a little depression or a little anxiety, but it's not what we would term in our field, super clinically diagnosable, right? It's just that kind of pervasive thought and feeling, oh, I really want to do all this stuff, but I'll do it later right? That procrastination or that self-sabotage. I start making headway and I start getting a little success. And then I revert to like playing games for 12 hours or watching Netflix for six hours, right? You know, it's those kinds of things that get people uh, stuck and cause them to get in their own way and not really see that if it's, if you keep taking the small steps and if you work to get out of your own way, and realize that you are infinitely powerful and there are infinite possibilities, you would be successful like that. Nice. I love that. Love that love. So I'm assuming that you're not the normal talk therapist because obviously you're talking about breakthroughs. And um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is talk therapy. I'm sorry, all of you talk therapists out there. But to me, you got to create resolution and you got to train the brain to think another new way. So a lot of people out there are probably thinking, yeah, but how do I do that? And my answer to them is go and see Susan because it's a, a process or a process that you have to go through in order to unlock that feeling. It's not about just talking it out because it's not going to do shit, in my opinion. But when you have an actual breakthrough, that's when the cool shit happens. But you got to go through the process and you don't know what the process is until you go and talk to her. So go and talk to Susan. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Well, you know, and the thing yeah. is, is that it's like, I, I hold a really amazing space for people to feel safe enough to dive into the deep shit. But here's the deal. Ever since, because I was four and had this awareness, I've had this unbelievable, amazing gift in being able to read people in a way, like I see, I know it sounds woo-woo again, but it's like, I see soul. So they're giving me all this stuff, the words, right? And I'm like, wait, stop. What was that that just happened inside your body? Or you know, I can see behind the words because it's almost like I, I can so feel what they're, you know, the word empath, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm an empath. It's like, 
I, I hate when people kind of like put all these labels on shit because then it's like, oh, I, I'm better than you. Like I'm this person who, you know, I could so feel what other people feel and I have to shield myself from all this energy all the time. And it's like, fuck I love you. you. More. I'm like, fuck you. You know what? <laughs> We're all empaths. We are all connected. You know why? Because we started as fucking babies. And as babies, we were the most pure because we didn't have any of the conditioning, any of the, any of the meanings of the language, and none of the woulda, shoulda, coulda, supposed tos. We just were. And as kids, we just wanted to explore and love and like just live. But then we were taught how to fear. And then we were taught what this means and that means and good girls don't do this and good boys are supposed to do that and all this crap. And so I've developed kind of, honestly, Michelle, I didn't even realize there were processes because I just did what I did with people. Mm -hmm. And it's only been in the last five years, honestly, that I have taken myself out of the quote unquote traditional therapy model. I closed two private practices, left a full-time job and said, I want to do it my way. Because like I add, you know, music and I add instrumentation and like there's other facilitating processing work I do that's maybe talking but it's not talking it's like all this other stuff that helps people get to those breakthroughs and those root cores in like a couple of sessions there's no reason you need to see someone like me for freaking five years what are you crazy just write me a check for a whole shit ton of money in the beginning and I'll do the same shit for you in two, two or three sessions that you would in five years with a, there you go, quote unquote, traditional talk therapist. I kind of hate my field, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> they're all kind of crazy. Uh, and, and there's sorry. so many of them that go, oh, I need help. I think I'll study that for the rest of my life. <laughs> what the hell? No, it's no, like I won't go just... talk to anybody. I'll just go and study it. <laughs> <laughs> you just go listen to what people are really saying. And, and when, like, you know, there's this kind of foundation I lay with all my clients in the beginning. I'm like, hey, can I take like 15, 20 minutes or sometimes longer if I'm long-winded, which I totally can be. Um, can I lay a bit of an educational foundation about how we even take the world in from a mind-brain perspective? Because once you get that, shit, you, you have the power now to start deconstructing all the illusions, all the things that you thought were truths that are really lies. And, you know, here's an interesting thing. Might be controversial, but I don't give a fuck. Did you know that emotions are really illusions? Yes, but I did. But explain that. So emotions are just the physical energy in the body. Emotion, right? Biochemical messengers of the body that were kicked out by the brain for a fight, flies, or freeze kind of situation for survival. That's the, the nature and the goal of the brain is to survive. Your brain doesn't think. Your brain doesn't care if you loved, lost, lost a job, had a friend, got divorced. Doesn't give two flying fucks, right? But your mind, so think of the brain as like the computer, the hard drive, storage unit. Runs the systems, survival is the nature and the goal. But the mind side, we have a nature and a goal too, and they're very different. We have, our nature is to love and be loved. Again, go back to babies and you can see that clearly. Goal is feedback. Some form of feedback, validation, approval, acceptance, awareness, acknowledgement. Like right now, you all can't see, but Michelle is shaking her head. It doesn't tell me that this makes sense to her, but it is telling me on some level that she's hearing me. So that's some form of feedback. But here's the problem. There are two competing pieces for that feedback that are always in play 100% of the time, and they're always in competition with each other. And that's a hope for gain and a fear of loss. 
I want to be the successful entrepreneur, but no matter what I do, I keep falling flat or I can't seem to get more than a couple clients at a time. I want to be happy, but I just have this really pervasive dark cloud that is over my head all the time, that kind of thing. And so emotions are just that, that biochemical energy and motion in the body that the mind gave a label to based on the context of the story in which it was created, right? Because like, let me ask you, you ever had that butterfly feeling in your stomach? Yes. What do you call it if you were to give it a label? If it's a good one, I'm in love. If it's a bad one, I'm anxious. You just, you just totally proved what I was saying. <laughs> How can you have the exact same physical sensation, that butterfly feeling in your stomach, but in one instance you call it in love and the other you call it in anxiousness because it's based on what your mind called it based on the context of the story, of the environment, of whatever's happening. So the next time you fall in love and you feel that, you're like, oh, I'm in love. If you're in an anxiety producing situation and you feel it, you're like, oh, oh man, I'm feeling so much anxiety. So when people start to really understand that and how to dismantle kind of those illusionary pieces, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that doesn't mean we don't it's not real, quote unquote, in the sense that we actually can feel like deep sorrow or deep grief or, or any of these feelings intensely. But if it starts inhibiting us and getting in our way, in our business, our life, our relationships, our sexual connections, whatever, that's the point where we have to start looking at the stories where this shit was created and start dismantling it. Does that make sense? Absolutely does. It totally does. So I know a lot of times people go, oh, you must be so spiritual. And I'm like, oh, I hate that word so bad because um, I'm, I'm not what I would consider a spiritual person, but I get that I have thoughts in my brains and I have a computer system. I get that I have emotions and that I have the capacity to be able to feel those. I get that I can will my arm to write my signature. And I also get that there's somebody that's in control of all this shit that is impervious to all of it. And that's what I consider getting in touch with my spirituality but when you don't get that there's basically four different aspects of that human essence doing that thing and if we're truly honest there's probably about eight of us mentally running around right head. yeah <laughs> or 27 in some cases so you just you know we tend to meld and we tend to you know not be seen but when you separate them and you can see them for what they are then it becomes much more evident of how in control you are of your life because then now you can address oh that behavior is caused by that motivation which is then blah blah and to me it, it takes work it takes effort to be able to d delve in there and yeah. do the shitty part. <clears throat> and what I tell my clients is just separate yourself from all this shit and go, you know what? Your shame isn't your shame. Your guilt's not your guilt. It's a thing that you feel. And if you want, refer to your younger you that started it all as him or her and just go like, that's on her. And if yeah. I happen to be bawling my eyes out right now, it's because a five-year-old inside of me is hurt. And that's not me, that's them. And I got to go listen to that because, you know, would I leave a five-year-old outside of me bawling and crying? No. So Go figure out what the hell's going on and get over with. Exactly. And like when you said just now, like, or maybe there's 27 of us, there's actually how many ever yous have lived to this point. So like I'm 56 years old and what's the day today? Uh, so like, I, I don't know, I'm 56 and like uh, 12 days old. Okay. Happy so 
<laughs> Thank you. So there's whatever 56 is times 365 plus 12, that's how many younger me's there are. But 99% of them meld together. Like my role, my job with people is just to help take those younger yous, like that five-year-old or that 12-year-old or whatever, who's still kind of sitting there going, hey, I didn't really integrate well. I didn't, I didn't manage through this thing or whatever. And I'm feeling this stuff and I'm having these thoughts. Those are the, the quote unquote subconscious drivers and sometimes conscious drivers that are still driving the bus. So anytime we get triggered with anything else, we think it's present day and why can't I this, that, and the other and the shame and the guilt and the not enoughness and the imposter syndrome and all these pieces. But it's really a younger them, like you just said, that's a little stuck and still in the driver's seat. And it's like, it's not that hard to really go find it. What you might find though, like you said, is that it can be a little painful for people because they haven't really, you know, gotten a lot of other coping skills to really deal with that in a way that doesn't take them down. And that's really all I think that any, any of us, coach, therapist, whatever, who are working with other people to really help them through all that shit, mm-hmm. however, whatever angle we come at it from and whatever we call it, I think that's honestly what all of us do, right? Because we just, we know what we've been through and how we've come out the other side and are still learning and evolving and growing. And we just want to help others who are maybe a couple steps behind us get to that same place. That's all. Nice. That's yeah. an awesome way of saying it. Although I do think there's some of us that get it out a lot faster. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Tell that to a couple of old clients who used to carry suicide kits for oh my years. Oh, we have so many stories. We have so many stories. But give us a Cinderella story of yours. Oh, man. Well, you know, it really was that catalyst of when I was 28. And it was one of those situations where I think for the first time in my life, I truly felt worthy and I felt the separation that I'm not my experiences. And I think that's what allowed me because I loved my son like more than anything, but even he didn't stop me from writing that letter. Him being alive and just turning two didn't stop me from wanting to go end my life. And in that moment, when I was rereading and I heard my four-year-old self, and she said some other stuff too, I just, I just knew that I had to make this choice and that if I got caught up in fear, which I'm not saying I never did again. Of course I did. I'm 56 years old. That was 28 years ago. I should be a multi-gazillion bazillionaire reaching, you know, seven and a half billion people on the planet. Not really, but you know, it's always a nice dream, right? I got caught in fear so many times. And when I would get stuck in that place, I kind of would go back to that day. And I kept the note. And I've only had to refer to it two times earlier on in the 28 years, but I only had to refer to it two more times to really remind myself of why I made that choice that day. And so when some of the darkness would come or the doubt or the fear, the imposter syndrome or like who am I to put this out there like this because so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so have been putting it out there like that for years. People see me as a copycat and a fraud and all this shit. I just had to sit back and go, wow, you know, who's to say that they were the first ones to do that, right? It's all the same info. There's nothing new. It's just the way we're all coming at it 
in our unique, beautiful expressions. And what you said before was perfect when you said, like, you know, how you see this thing called spirituality, which you don't even, you hate that word, right? And I get so, like, I, I have a new show coming out, a new podcast coming out, and it's got that in the title, right? And I'm like, that could be a turnoff for someone like you, except the reality is, it's about whatever it means to you. So I had to get to a place where I could be comfortable, truly comfortable, heavy, overweight, smoking cigarettes, saying fuck. I actually went to a, uh, an event about seven years ago that was kind of, um, wasn't a spiritual event. It was like for authors and stuff, but you know, like just the vibe I knew from who was running it, there would probably be a bunch of spiritual people there. And she starts the event and she asks for, you know, some people to stand up and like, why are you here, blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't go to a lot of events, right? I really don't. And I'm not like a workshop junkie or a program junkie or any of that shit. And so I stood up and I said, I don't go to a lot of events, but I always worry when I come to something like this because I have a feeling it's going to be like super spiritual. There's going to be a lot of like vegans who are wearing, you know, like all cotton. And I said, here's the deal. I eat meat, I smoke cigarettes, and I say fuck. And, and I went on for a little bit after that. Afterwards, I, there were about 150 people there. I probably had 20 or 30 people come up to me and be like, oh my God, like that was awesome. It's so real. And I became friends with the, with the host and did some private work with her later, you know. And she told me years later that I changed the course of her event for those next three days because you could feel the palpability of tension in the room. And then after I said that, it, there was a slight difference. And so because she doesn't work off of like this big major agenda, she used that as a doorway. So when we came back from the break, she said, I want everybody to stand up and as loud as you can say the worst swear word you would never, ever say. And you could hear all the people that were kind of quiet and then it get louder and louder and louder to where this just massive room of people yelling super loud, whatever their worst swear word was. And then it was like clear air you know, clear. And, and I had no idea. I was like, look, I was just being me because I, I don't want to be around all these people who are going to be like, oh, you say bad words and you eat meat and you smoke cigarettes and you like dress like whatever. And so that's, I know that was a super long-winded answer and I apologize, but that was kind of, it was kind of all of a combination of that, that really over time became kind of what I would call, like you just asked, the Cinderella story. Because that culminated, I mean, shit, it started 28 years ago and then it culminated about seven years ago where I would have never done that in front of a big group of people like that before. That is awesome. I love that. Then you prove my point. Sometimes you just have to be you, whatever that is, as uncomfortable as that might be, but then it creates something that never could have been created otherwise had you not stepped into that. Yeah. So for sure. that is awesome. I love that. Thank you. Very cool. So uh, what's your podcast? What's coming up? Well, um, I currently have a podcast called Kick Your Butts, which is about <laughs> eliminating the butts and the boundaries and the limitations and the excuses that we all like, right? You know, like, God, I want to do that, but I, I don't know. Fucking stop with the butts. 
right? Because it negates everything before it. And then the new show that's going to be released in about a week, mid-August, is called The Spiritually Expressed Human. Mm-hmm. And it's really about navigating the path of the human experience in a way that allows you to fully express and be exactly who you are, whatever that means for you. It may not have anything to do with anything that's spiritual, but at least you're stepping into you. Nice. I do yeah. love it. And yes, don't, don't take my word on spirituality. I just don't like being called spiritual. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I'll and, get over my head trash soon. <laughs> well, you know, people, I'll step have, into that. <laughs> people have said that to me too, like, oh, are you pretty spiritual? And I'm like, what does that mean? And I think exactly. part of it was the fact that I was raised in an interreligiously married family. So I had a Jewish mother, Christian father, neither were very practicing. We only went to different stuff for their parents. And then I have two older brothers. My, my oldest brother became Orthodox Jewish. My middle brother became a very devout Catholic. And then people were like, well, what are you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't believe in organized religion. And they're like, well, but you got to believe in something. And I'm like, all right, fine. Fuck it. If you really got to have those labels, I guess I'm a blend of kind of a Native American and Eastern philosophy kind of person. Like I honor people. I honor life and I do the best I can every day to be the best version of myself and not be a fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> what do you call that? I don't know. I don't know. Some people think I'm an asshole. Uh, I, and I've recently come to the conclusion that comedy is my church. So <laughs> I love that. that it's, laughter is the best medicine, right? You know, it's awesome. yeah, for sure. when you can relate to somebody on and, uh, and laugh at their jokes. I mean, they're, they're to me, that's, that's the utmost of you just, you lit my heart on fire and life is grand. So that's my church from now on. (laughs) Well, and I love to being able to laugh at myself, right? Like, you know, I think everybody should be able to laugh at my, at their selves. My, my (laughs) husband and I have been together. We're remarried for the second time each and we've been together about 20 years. And uh, a good friend of mine is like, man, you guys are kind of mean to each other sometimes. And I'm like, no, we're just kind of sarcastic and we're both heavy set. And it's kind of like, oh my God. Do we have time for another very quick story? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is awesome. So I think it was our first, like, our first date here at the house kind of thing, right? Like, we'd gone on a couple of dates, and we'd ordered pizza. And at the time, we had this couch that was in front of the TV. And so we would, like, and this table in front. And so we would just, like, eat there and watch, you know, Sopranos or whatever cool shit we wanted to watch. So I got up to go get another couple of pieces of pizza. And he's like, yo, bitch, grab me another. I said, do you want anything? He's like, yo, bitch, grab me another couple pieces of pizza. And there was this brief moment where I'm like, oh, new relationship. See, this is the kind of shit that gets in the way, right? New relationship. Uh, he should, I shouldn't probably let him say bitch because he might say it like in anger or mean it. And I know he was totally messing around, but I'm like, so I, I say, whoa, maybe that's crossing the line just a little bit. That was like way in the beginning. I don't know. Within a couple months, it was like, yo, dickhead, yo, fat ass, (laughs) like whatever. And so my friend's like, God, you guys are kind of mean to each other. And I'm like, no, we're playing. And we know that it's just our way of teasing each other. And I know the whole thing, like, there's always a little truth in sarcasm. But if you knew us, you would see how solid we are and how we're best friends and lovers and partners in life. And that we just don't take life that seriously. And we don't take ourselves that seriously. And so if we can't make fun of ourselves and each other a little bit, like, what's the point? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And in my words, you go to the same church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you speak the same yeah. language, understand each other, you get where you come from. That's all it is. That's right. That is awesome. That's so awesome. before I forget, if uh, people want to get a hold of you um, for the podcast, for therapy, for Q&A, for whatever, what are the multitude of ways that they can get a hold of you? Reach out to me at uh, Susan at SusanDesenzi.com. That's via email or go to my website. Same thing, www.SusanDesenzi.com. Fill out the contact form to get in touch with me. Grab the free gift. It's a, it's a guide on emotional resiliency and it's really a, a, it's a secret to loving yourself. And it's really about how to kind of step, begin stepping out of your head and getting out of your own way in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, there's multitude of ways that they can reach me because look, I'm here to help create a larger impact so that someday people like me quote unquote, formal licensed therapists are no longer fucking needed because we don't really need to be in business. And, and I get, and, and I do have to say this, I have to say this. Serious mental illness is a thing for some people. There are biochemical, neurological, physiological things that happen for some people. I am not diminishing that at all. I've been in this field for 24 years. I've worked and seen my share of those who may never be able to move past, whether it's schizophrenia or serious bipolar disorder, various things. But I think my field so overdiagnoses, overlabels, overmedicates, over everything that it's almost become like a badge of honor to say, oh, I'm on this medicine, who's your psychiatrist? And I just think that for the majority of us, we need a listening ear and a non-judgmental safe place to deal with all that past conditioning shit, but that we really can move through it and learn to walk with the past stuff without it defining you. And it's just so easy to blur that line. So I had to say that because I absolutely don't want anybody listening who may have a more serious situation to feel that it's being diminished like, oh, just pull your big girl boy panties up and move through it. It's all fine. You can get past it. Some things are more biological and physiological, and it's not always going to be easy for them, or if at all. Mm -hmm. But the most, most of us, yeah, we can move through shit much faster and much easier than the old traditional thought process. So reach out to me at either place via email through my contact form on my website and grab the free gift. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. <clears throat> now, I usually have a parting question of at what point did you realize that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> I think we covered that one, did we not? Or do you have another answer for that one? I think, you know, I think it was probably when I was about nine. I mean, I had that awareness since I was four and, you know, it just like was screwing me up. But when I was about nine, I realized that I'm really more powerful than I realized. And even though shit was already happening at that point in my life, um, I just knew that I didn't want to live the status quo. I was always like, you talk about rebel before, like you said, we could talk about that for hours. I remember my mom put me in the corner probably when I was three or four, don't move a muscle. Oh, you just fucked up woman. Cause you said, don't move a muscle. Well, now I'm going to move. So I'd move. Yep. My finger, my elbow, my foot. And she said, I said, don't move. And I'm like, 
kind of sticking my tongue at her and then I'm waiting where I think she's turned around and I'm, I move, right? And I just couldn't buy into conformity. I couldn't buy into the box. And that's why it was so challenging as I got older and became an entrepreneur in multiple arenas over the last 30 some, 35 years, even younger, but what I would really call more of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur by the time I was like late teens, early twenties and starting to see some success was that I was like a true rebel, right? And so it was hard then when I'd get caught behind that fear and not feel that kind of rebelistic, like, I'm not conforming. I'm just going to be who I am. I would get caught up in all the, you know, the marketing shit, like pick the lane, pick the niche, you know, find the audience, do this, do that, call yourself this. And I'm like, why can't I just help people who have shit they're not dealing with well? Why do I have to call it something, right? Like, no, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing it my way. So fuck you. But I, I get now the importance of some of those things. And so I see it, I reframed it, like you said in the beginning, I see it through a different lens now. But man, for years, it just tripped me up like bad. I totally get that. And I can't tell you how many clients I have that are the rebel. I love the rebels. So by the way, if you're a rebel and you're looking for executive coaching, <laughs> either one of us, we will do you well. Um, but they, it was got to the point where they wouldn't even listen to their own schedule. So even though on Sunday, they set out their schedule for the week, when the time came to do this, it's like, fuck you, nobody's telling me what to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you were telling you what to do, dude. <laughs> not, it's, that, that adds it's the two so people. <laughs> Yeah, right? Then that's the two people staring at you. Forget the 27 or the thousands. It's the two people that are like, but you set this schedule up. You wanted to do this. No, fuck you. I'm not doing it. I swear to God, you because you told me to do it. I'm not doing it. Oh my God, that would be a mess. It is. And you wonder why nobody can get shit done in a week. Exactly. Uh, yeah. All sorts of fun issues to work on. So, yeah. Yes. It's been awesome, Susan. Thank you so much for your time. I absolutely love and adore it. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show and we'll take it to another level. Um, sure. Because, <laughs> you know, we know how to go there. So. Sweet. And I'd love to have you on my show and talk about spiritual and how it's not spiritual because we need people more people than just me blabbing who are like, look, you don't have to be this, whatever you think that is. Right. So it's been an honor. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me on. I've had a blast and I cannot wait to come back and I cannot wait to have you on my show. I think we'll just have, oh my God, so many awesome conversations. Awesome. Well, thank you again. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being with us here today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic that you'd like me to discuss, reach out at Michelle at the little blue pill for business.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the little blue pill for business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to little blue pill for business.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.